Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Mind on Mental Health podcast. My name is Andy Dean. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. My guest today is Chirayu Parikh, board-certified child and adolescent psychiatrist, as well as associate medical director at Penn Medicine Princeton House Behavioral Health in North Brunswick, New Jersey. Today, Dr. Parikh and I discuss the best way to talk to your kids when the current events in the news are scary. So I hope you guys enjoy the podcast and find it helpful. All right, Dr. Parikh, thank you so much for coming on with me today. Thanks, Andy, for having me on. Oh, of course. I'm excited. I always love it when I get a chance to talk to a psychiatrist. And I think this is just a wonderful platform for us to be able to talk about some really important things. So I'm glad, you know, we have this opportunity. Well, I'm glad that I can pick your brain about how I can stop screwing up my kids. <laughs> I, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people have, have that concern, and this is a wonderful platform to talk about that. <laughs> All right. So before we start, can you just tell everybody who you are and, and what you do for the agency? Uh, sure. Absolutely. I'm Chirai Parikh. I'm a board certified child and adolescent psychiatrist. And right now I work at the Penn Medicine Princeton House North Brunswick Partial Hospital Intensive Outpatient site where we treat kids anywhere from the ages of five, six up to 17, 18 years old in a more of an intensive mental health setting. And how, how long have you been with the agency now? Wow, I think it will be almost 10 years. It will be 10 years in November. Oh, congrats. Thank you. Okay. Now, uh, I know basically what we wanted to talk about today was um, something that you had written an article for us about and, and done a little video for us about. And I think really this couldn't be a more relevant topic. And that's how to talk to your kids when the news is scary, right? I'm just going to be bringing a lot of myself into this conversation because I'm a parent of two young kids. Um, and I think we all know that right now there's no shortage of, or I should say within the past couple of years, there's been no shortage of scary things out there in the news. And I've certainly had to have some conversations with my kids recently that I don't necessarily love having to have the conversations with them, but it's necessary. Um, so I think it's a really good topic to talk about. And I, absolutely. And, and, you know, like you said, you know, I myself am a, a, I'm a father of, of, of three kids. I have a teenager, a tween, and a, a child in elementary school. So mm-hmm. we kind of run the gamut. And, and, and it's never easy as a parent to be able to kind of bring up these difficult conversations with your kids. But I think over the last couple of years, it's become more and more relevant. I think that we need to start doing this. Yeah. I think part of it, too, is like we get we have. Uh, such access to news 24-7 and, you know, very rarely is it positive. So it's just like this constant onslaught of negative stories. And then obviously we just went through a pandemic, which is, you know, a once in a, once in a generation thing. I mean, hopefully once in a generation. But, you know, there's just been these, con- there's just this constant trickle of these negative stories. So I'm really interested to get your take on the best way to talk to kids about this kind of stuff. So if we're thinking about it in terms of maybe advice or tips that you would have for parents, where is the best place to start? First and foremost, I think just historically, if we think about it, today's generation of parents, most of us grew up in a different world where mm-hmm. ease of access just wasn't there. We were exposed, but on a much more limited basis. So for all of us, this is kind of a brand new world. And we're learning to navigate it just as our children are being exposed to it. Right. But I think first things first, just recognizing that our perceptions of what 
kids might interpret when they see these things is going to be very different than what we did because their exposure is just so much more. Mm-hmm. So I think just having that recognition, I think, is a great first step. And if you find yourself in the position where you start to notice, you know, anything with your child that you find concern- concerning, just be vigilant and, and kind of monitor, you know, and depending on the age of your child, you certainly want to set up some type of filters and and and, and monitoring software on, on things if, if it's age appropriate for your child, just so that you're kind of in control a little bit more in terms of how much they're exposed and what they're exposed to. Mm-hmm. You take those precautions. And even though you, you might be doing all those things, of course, in today's world, they might still hear about it, see it on the news, talk to their friends at school who may have mentioned something. It, it's really unavoidable. So I think at that point, if you start to notice it's affecting your child, then you want to bring up that conversation. Interesting. You know, when you first started saying that, I was wondering if you were saying, if your point would have been like, maybe kids today are are more numb to hearing this kind of stuff. But then there's actually sort of the other end of the spectrum where obviously their anxiety could be through the roof because, like I said, it's just a constant kind of onslaught of this negative news and this negative information. So I guess, I don't know, where do you see things with kids kind of being on that continuum? Like, do you find that many of the kids are are sort of more, a little more numb to all this, or are they increasingly more anxious? You know, I think it really can run the gamut. I think there's definitely an element of being desensitized to some of the violence they might see on TV through exposure to video games or just, you know, being on social media or, you know, streaming content, things like that. Uh, But then they also have kids who are very highly sensitive to it. Mm-hmm. And part of it might be, you know, any type of biological predisposition to things like depression or anxiety that could be triggered when they're exposed to these things. So you have that one extreme group and then the other side where the content doesn't really seem to bother them. And I think that's that's OK, too. And that's really kind of the world we're living in. I think as a parent, I think it's important to understand that if your child isn't showing signs that they're distressed by what they're seeing and hearing, that's OK. You don't necessarily have to initiate a conversation for the sake of it. But it's it really when you start to see any type of concerning behavior that you want to explore a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I guess just could you throw out some examples of what that might look like? Sure. So for example, you know, especially with younger kids who sometimes have a tendency to not be able to verbalize their emotions, or even on the other end, not being fully aware of where some of these emotions might be coming from, mm-hmm. you might see some some, you know, what we call somatic symptoms, headache, stomach upset, that really doesn't have any apparent cause, you take them to the pediatrician, there's really no explanation for it. Or you might see them withdraw, not wanting to go out of the house, not wanting to go to school, and this could be a child that loved school before. So when you start to see some behavioral changes in your child some social isolation, not wanting to go to soccer practice or go to their friend's birthday party, those are some of the telltale signs that their anxiety might be picked up. Mm-hmm. And it might be worth exploring it a little bit more at that point. Yeah. And it sounds like a big differentiator, especially for younger kids, is like those somatic symptoms. Like you said, like, and somatic means like any uh, physical symptom, really. Um, exactly. So stomach aches, headaches, like you said, um, maybe nausea or something. But just keeping an eye out for that, especially with the younger kids that maybe can't verbalize it so much. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and for the older kids, you know, I think depending on the child, some of them are very able to, to come out and say, hey, I'm, I'm stressed, I'm worried about this, my anxiety is kicking up, especially if they have more of an understanding of their mental health at that point. Right. But even with the older kids, sometimes they don't, you know, they'll kind of withdraw more than 
uh, being expressive. And for them also, you have to be mindful of those same things. Mm -hmm. Okay, good to know. So those are all kind of warning signs to look out for symptoms that may pop up if somebody is struggling with anxiety, or, or I'm sorry, if a child is struggling with anxiety. Now, in terms of actually having a conversation with a child about something that is distressing, where do we start with that piece? So I think first thing you want to do is, uh, you know, make sure the information you present is really age appropriate. So the same information you present to your five-year-old, it's not going to be the same as you present to your 15-year-old. For your five-year-old, you really want to keep it short, keep it simple. You don't want to over-explain. Um, you really want to keep it on their level so that whatever you tell them, they can really absorb. You know, something as simple as if they see something on TV about, for example, the war in Ukraine, you can say, yes, there is a war going on. It's, you know, far away from here and, 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 and you're going to be safe here. So just to kind of give them really the basic information, if they have questions, certainly you want to answer them honestly and, and give them the, uh, the security that whatever you tell them is going to be true, uh, mm. that, which I think is really, really important. For your older kids who are going to be much more aware of go what's going on, you can have a little bit more of an open conversation in terms of specifics because they, they're going to know all these things already and sometimes more than we do. So I think it's very important at that point to recognize that they're very aware and to have that conversation and sometimes even let them lead it based on what their concerns are. If we can kind of just compare what you just said that, that you would say to a five-year-old versus what you would say to a teenager, like, I guess, obviously with the five-year-old, you kept it very basic, but with the teenager, like, what might you say in that case? If they come to you and they say, hey, I'm stressed out, I'm seeing these things on CNN or mm -hmm. on social media or YouTube about this war and people are dying. I think kind of recognize the fact that and say, yeah, that that's true. There is a war going on and it, you know, it's difficult, but in war people get hurt. And there are a lot of reasons of why the war is going on. And these are some of them. What are your feelings about the war? What are you seeing? Get mm. a sense of what they already know, what their perception is, what their understanding is, what their feelings are. Mm. And just really do a lot of validation uh, and, and understanding. I think a lot of times mm. you just want to kind of make sure they understand you're there to listen. This isn't about giving advice or telling them what to do or saying, you know, getting upset with them for being on social media and, 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 and looking at all these things. You really just want to be that empathetic ear and, and being a source where they're able to bounce their feelings off of you. And, mm. you know, they already know the information at that age. So it's, it's more of them being able to kind of bounce it off of you and you being that emotional sponge for them when they're feeling stressed. I think it's a great tip. It sounds like it's really just about finding out how they feel about it and bouncing that back to them and telling them that that's okay. Exactly. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I find sometimes helpful, especially for the older kids, is giving them ways that they can get involved if they're really distressed about it. You know, ways that they can engage in action, mm -hmm. like starting a fundraiser or a walk or something at their school, giving them some type of permission to be a little bit more active and, and, and feel like they have some sense of control about what they're doing versus being so passive mm -hmm. and just receiving the news, being more involved. For a lot of them, that's very helpful as well. Hey, ready? I'm going to throw a personal thing at you. Sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> honestly, this is was pretty heartbreaking when it happened. But um, so my daughter, who's uh, mm -hmm. six, is in elementary school, and they have to do drills now, which are basically active shooter drills. They don't call them yeah. that. Um, but she said to me a while back, you know, today we had to do a drill in case somebody was in the school trying to hurt us. And she said, why would somebody do that? Like, why would somebody 
come in and hurt us. And I think with young kids, that's kind of the question that always gets me is the why. Because for something like a school shooting, it really is senseless. Yeah. Almost with like a war or something, you know, especially if you're explaining it to an older kid, there are political reasons or, you know, there are reasons for it usually, even though they're not always great reasons. But with something as senseless as like a mass shooting, how would you even answer that question, that, that why question with a young kid? Yeah, that that's such a tough question, especially with that age group, because mm-hmm. the reason they're preparing for something so beyond their, their, their ability to really comprehend that sort of action, right. that it, 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 it's how do you explain that to such a young child? Mm-hmm. I think first, you know, as a parent, I think it's really important that you speak with your schools also to understand what their drills are, what their policy is, how often they do the drills. I know from my school district, we get email notifications every time a a drill is done. Mm. So at least as a parent, you're prepared in case your child comes home and asks you about this, Mm. that that might be a conversation you need to have. So if you don't have that communication, definitely reach out to your school and, and talk to them about that. If your child does come home and asks you about that, I think it's important, again, just to use the same concepts. You want to keep it simple and age appropriate. So say, hey, you know, the reason why we do these drills is just like, you know, if you lived in an area where you had hurricanes, you can't always control that, but you can keep yourself safe. And this is what we're going to do. We go mm-hmm. into shelter. We, And that's all this is as well. It's just in the unlikely chance that this would ever happen. We want to keep you safe. And this is why we're practicing it. Mm-hmm. And I think just really focus again on the safety and the drills. I think it's really hard for a six-year-old and, and even for adults, to be honest, to understand the emotion that goes behind a mass shooting. Yeah, and, and I mean, right, it, it's senseless. If adult, if an adult asked me why, I don't know what I would even say, you know? Um, exactly. But just yeah. even trying trying to, like, explain it to a young kid in a way that they can even wrap their head around. I mean, the, I guess the, the real takeaway there that, that you keep going back to is just trying to keep it as simple as possible because at the end of the day, yes. some things don't really make sense. Uh, absolutely, and I think trying to make sense of it, I think, is sometimes an exercise in futility. It, mm. it, it's it's not it, it's not something that's sensical. It is senseless violence, right. and it's just really kind of helping your child understand that these methods are just to keep you safe and the unlikely chance that this would ever happen. And it is unlikely, despite mm. the increase in mass shootings. Kids go to school every day, and it's not necessarily a common occurrence. It's disturbing because it's increasing in frequency. Mm. But at the end of the day, it's much more likely your child's never going to be exposed to this throughout their life. Mm-hmm. And the other dangerous thing with that why question, I think, is once you get on that train, it's really hard to get off because then you answer it with one way and then it's another, well, why? And then, well, why? Well, why? So really just trying to keep it simple and and direct. I don't know what you're talking about. Five-year-olds never ask why. (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. Um, Yeah, I mean, look... This is not the only case where that happens, but like right. by by far, I'm, I'm asked that question multiple times a day, and usually I just pretend to know the answer. Right. Well, now along those same lines, there's a temptation there at times to maybe tell a little white lie. So, how do you feel about maybe not necessarily outright lying to your kid, but maybe a little white lie here or there to kind of shield them from the distress of the truth? So I, I think it's a very fine line between a white lie and maybe being a little bit more selective in terms of the information you give them. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't necessarily present something to a child, especially a young child, that if they were to find out it wasn't true, 
but then kind of make them question anything else you tell them. Because at the end of the day, especially for the younger kids, you know, their guardians, mom or dad, whoever it might be, that's their home base. And they mm -hmm. need to feel completely secure within that setting. And if they hear something from you, which is not consistent with what they're hearing from school or their friends, or they happen to see on TV, that could really kind of make them kind of lose that trust. And that's going to really have a much greater impact on their overall anxiety than if mm. you are just, you know, uh, selective in what you tell them, but being honest up front. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to throw an opinion at you. And I, I want to see where you stand with this. Um, okay. Personally, I, I actually think it's good in a way for kids to be exposed to some of these things, because they need to be prepared for the world. I mean, really, your number one job as a parent is to prepare them for the world, right? right. And, to keep, and to keep them safe. So I guess my own kind of outlook on this is just you're not really doing a great job of that if your goal is to always kind of protect them from hearing or seeing some things that might be distressing, right? You're, you're Absolutely. I don't, I don't remember if this was in a training or a book I read or something, but stood out to me. But basically that your job as a parent isn't to keep them from feeling negative emotions. It's to teach them how to go about feeling negative emotions. So, you know, not to make sure that they're never sad or they're never mad or they're never, you know, upset. But when they do feel that way, how do you, how do they deal with it kind of thing? No, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, I think especially as you move on into, you know, the middle school years and, and beyond that, I think it's really, really important for parents to be more of a safety net than a shield mm -hmm. because the kids are going to be exposed and it's more about letting them know, hey, if you fall, we're here to catch you, but go out and try these things while we have the safety net for you because mm -hmm. if something were to happen, we're, we're going to support you and we're going to teach you how to deal with it. And that's why I think particularly on this topic, as the kids get older, it's important to be much more factual, much more truth-based, much more detail-oriented, because they're already exposed to that. And if you're not going to be on that level with them, they're just not going to come to you. Mm -hmm. So I think as, you know, especially if they're in high school, absolutely, they're going to be exposed to things. And I think, it's the, you know, what you're talking about right now is, this, is, is that chronic struggle parents have. How do I expose my child and yet protect them at the same time? Oh, yeah. And it's always that delicate balance. But I think you're absolutely right. You have to be able to let kids know it's okay to explore the world and we're also going to support you. And as they get older, that safety net gets a little bit smaller because they're able to navigate things on their own a little bit better. Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to copyright that quote from you. Just, just so you <laughs> know, that, that's not, that's right. I'm, I'm going to trademark that. that. That's mine now, not yours. Just so you know, be, be a safety net, not a shield. But I mean, yeah, essentially that, Look, from all the trainings and, and things that I've gone to on working with kids and families, that essentially is what a lot of it boils down to, right? Absolutely. And a lot of times we can run into trouble as parents when we're trying to be the shield instead of the safety net. Because we're not really giving our kids an opportunity to learn how to deal with negative emotions, which are going to pop out throughout their lives, you know, no, no matter how great their life is. Yeah, I, I, and that's that's, you know, kind of... The biggest challenge of parenthood is preparing your kids to be uh, able to not necessarily need you as much mm -hmm. because they have the emotional bandwidth to be able to navigate life challenges. And if you're able to do that, that's, that's success. Okay. Now, I think another thing we need to address in this conversation, which you addressed in, in the article that you wrote, is really a large part of how a child views their world is through the lens of their parents, right? So yeah. um, 
how how is mom how are mom and dad reacting to this how are mom and dad feeling today that plays a really large role in how a child sort of understands their world so how does that kind of factor into this i mean look I just personally, when I see things on the news about school shootings, it really bothers me. Just being the parent of two young kids, it really gets to me. Um, yeah. So what kind of a role does the sort of the parent's reaction to these things play in terms of your child's mental health? Yeah, I think that's a great other piece to this whole conversation is kind of how you manage your own emotions. Mm-hmm. And I think anyone, you know, Andy, you work in the mental health field, as do I. Sometimes it's, you know, for us, when we go into the office and have a really difficult day because one of our patients went through something, you know, that that kind of stings you a little bit as well because we're all human. And But when you come home, you have to kind of take that hat off and mm-hmm. be present for your family as well. And I think it's a little bit of it's navigating this the same way for parents that you're kind of expecting you're going to have an emotional reaction, especially when children are involved, but you see something online or on, in the media about kids getting hurt and you're a parent, it, it's of course going to affect you. So I think it's mm-hmm. important that you take that emotional inventory of yourself and be able to say, hey, am I able to now talk to this about my child or do I still need to kind of process this myself before I bring it up? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And if you feel like you're really having a hard time even thinking about it or managing it, or having a conversation about it, it you know, you need to also seek out support for yourself, or whatever that might be, through mm-hmm. your primary doctor, through a mental health specialist, through your church organization, whatever it might be. You need to kind of have that uh, awareness first before you can bring it to your child. And I think it's also okay, especially with the older kids, if they see that you're upset. I think it just offers an element of of relatability for them if they're upset as well. But at the same time, I think as a parent, your child's still looking to you for that support and that strength. And you have to be able to at least provide that. Right. Yeah, it's another one of those um, trying to find the strike the right balance kind of things, right? Exactly. Like, um, Absolutely. You, you want your kids to know that you're human and you want them to know that, you know, it's okay to express emotions. So you have to model that. But at the same time, it has to be sort of within a certain range. You don't want to be a complete mess about it all the time in front of them because then they're not going to feel like they have any stability. Exactly. Yeah. So it, again, it's parenting really comes down to finding the right balance in so many of these situations. A hundred percent. I think that, that that's exactly what it is, is looking at the balance. And if you ever feel and it, it, you know that the balance is off, there's always time to correct. It, it, it's mm-hmm. not one, you know, one strike and you're out. You definitely have opportunities, especially with kids to say, hey, listen, I thought I was ready to handle this. I'm realizing as we're talking, this is really hard for me too. Let's talk about this in a couple of days and give yourself mm-hmm. that break to be able to process that. Oh, good, good. Yeah. And then you're modeling like, Sometimes you need to put a little space in between yourself and the emotion Mm -hmm. before you can have a really good conversation about it. 100%. So this whole idea really is sort of like the you have to put the oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on anybody else. That's that's a great analogy. That's that's exactly what this is. If you're not in a position to help yourself, if you don't take care of yourself first, you just won't be in a position to help others. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything else we're missing here in terms of how to have a productive conversation with your child about these events? You know, I think that the, the biggest take-home points are just being honest, being aware, being vigilant, uh, changes with your child, and then as well as your own uh, feelings and emotions. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're able to kind of pack that together, you really have a great handle on what's going on. Awesome. Okay. Dr. Parikh, thank you so much for coming on. I had a great time talking to you. Andy, thank you so much for having me on and, 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 and bringing this topic to, to the podcast. Yeah, let's do it again. Absolutely. Anytime.